Welcome to Thrive in Design, a podcast about making money in beautiful interiors as it relates to product-based businesses in the interior design industry. Each week, we'll discuss innovative strategies on how to approach product development and design sales in a shifting market. I'm your host, Nicole Lachey-Ben. Welcome back to another episode of the Thrive and Design podcast. Today, we have Dion Bent, who is an interior designer and owner of Noed Interiors. Her firm is a design haven that focuses on the environmental psychology aspect of design, as well as curating a unique space for every client. After obtaining her BFA in interior design from the Art Institute, traveling the world and experiencing other cultures, Dion quickly realized the need for a design service that focused on fostering an in-depth relationship with the client and developing an understanding of their relationship to space before beginning the design process. I'm so excited to hear about your design approach today. So welcome to the show, Dion. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Yes. So let's dive in. I always like to ask my guests a little bit about their career path and what drew them to the interior design industry. So what made you pursue a career in interior design? So I loved design since I was a little girl. My aunt actually went to um, the International Academy of Design and Technology, and I was probably about eight or nine when she was doing that. So when I saw kind of the different creations she was making, her floor plans, things like that, I was really interested into it. Um, And then at that point, my parents would find me in the middle of the night, waking up, rearranging different things around or trying to draw things out. Um, My dad was an engineer, so I kind of liked the engineer focus. That's what drew me to interior design a little bit more. And then as soon as I kind of got into that path, I was like, all right, I'm going to fully pursue this. And at the age of 17, I went to the Art Institute of Tampa and the rest is history. Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. Yes, yes. Yeah, I also started to have interest in interior design at a really young age. I um, mm-hmm. remember my mom buying a house when I was about like three or four. And she's like, what do you want to, what do you want your room to look like? And I was like, I need this right. wall pink and this wall purple. <laughs> and I need this bedding yeah. and I need this ballerina border at the top of my room, right? So that was mm-hmm. at like three or four. So it's so interesting when people get that interest at a young age and stick to it. So for yes. you, as you had this interest at a young age like what did you do to like cultivate your art and design skills to get into design school because I know that's a a whole path in itself it is it definitely is I really didn't understand what interior design was truthfully until I actually was in school to be honest so anybody who has gone to design school understands it's not HGTV pretty pictures and fluffing pillows and things like that but what I did understand is that I enjoy space and understanding how space works. So I took a lot of um, perspective classes when I was in middle school. In high school, we had um, an interior design program. Well, it was actually a fashion and interior design program, but since I was one of the other only two people in the class that really wanted to pursue interior design, um, my teacher was able to focus more of the fashion stuff towards me. So I took a lot of those kind of classes leading up to college, um, understanding how to read a scale ruler, understanding how to just know how to read a tape measure, things like that. I did before I went to college. And then once I was in school, I kind of just honed those skills even more so because like I said, you don't really know what it is until you get <laughs> into design school. It's a lot 
more technical than people realize. And I think for me, I enjoy the technical aspect of understanding the why behind everything. And that's what just continued my focus towards being an interior designer. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. Most people don't realize how technical it is. Even Mm -hmm. I always tell my friends now, I'm like, listen to my podcast so you can hear all the different facets of the interior design industry. So yes. What has your career developed into over the last few years with NOED Interiors and beyond? So I was the type of person who was interested in a lot of different things. After school, we were kind of pushed towards commercial design. So I really tried to find some sort of commercial design work, working in a firm, working with a designer. I did that for a little bit. And then because we spec'd a lot of furniture, I was interested in furniture. So I worked for a couple furniture places. I worked for uh, remodelers, everything. So I've kind of done a lot of different things for the interior design aspect to find what I truly like. And honestly, it's the people and the places behind the spaces that really intrigued me the most. Because I think a lot of times when I look at design, I like things that are unique to somebody and not just Um, a replica like if you were to shop at the major box stores and you see like I can recognize those in everybody's home I'm like oh yeah that's from this place that place the other place you know I understand that but being able to like curate something for someone because that will fit their specific needs is what was more interesting to me so I actually traveled overseas as you mentioned earlier I, I lived in Australia for a year and living in Australia design is so much different but it actually fits your lifestyle over there, which is different than here. Like we're we're more focused on the interior of our homes and things. And they're more focused on having a space to be like you, you sleep in a room and then you eat in the kitchen and you do this, but the exterior environment is bought inside, which is really cool to me. And I never really saw that so much in America, but once I did see that, I bought that back into design over here and talking about plants and how do you bring things together? So that whole thing just kind of spearheaded me wanting to be more focused on environmental psychology. And that's what I really do focus on in my uh, design work versus just sketching and curating things. You know, it's a little bit different. It talks more about the psychology behind the space. So that's really interesting to me. All right. So let's break all of that down. So two things. Yes. (laughs) What types of projects do you focus on with NOAD Interiors? And then we're going to come back to follow up about environmental psychology and how you integrate that? Sure. So a lot of times I get consultations because people want organization things or they're like, hey, I want to remodel. A lot of times it's remodeling kitchens, remodeling bathrooms or remodeling, you know, I'm buying a house and it's a new build and everything else. And so I kind of before I even start into all of that, I kind of ask them a lot of personality questions and personal questions, to be honest. It's not so much that I'm trying to pry into your space, but I have to know you as a person. Um, It's a lot more consultant work before we even design. Because once I spend probably about two or three sessions with people, number one, I need to visit your existing space. What does that look like? How do you thrive in that space? I ask questions such as, hey, um, are you right-handed or left-handed? Is everybody in your house a certain height? Um, Do you have elderly people in your family? Do you have pets? Like all of those questions actually help to provide the foundation to creating your future design, essentially. So it's a lot of time spent in that space. I like to observe. I like to see like, where do you guys go to eat? What are things that you like about this space? You know, childhood home photos or or Pinterest things, you know? So a lot of it is a lot more... um, interior consulting for personal homes and spaces, but I also have worked on some projects for commercial spaces because 
um, working in an environment where I've been in offices, especially with the interior design background, you kind of have to have people working closely together. And so um, at the one of the companies I've worked for in the past, they actually rearranged their entire office space because the right people weren't sitting next to each other. So it's a lot of consulting work, to be honest with you, and finding out who works together, who needs to be next to each other, who doesn't have to be in the same space, and then creating a plan from that. So I love it. Yeah. I love it. And so break down environmental psychology. What is it? And then how do you incorporate it into your design process? Yes. I have so many questions. And then what... <laughs> For sure. The things that you ask them in the consultation or the consultative process, is that part of, you know, environmental psychology? Yes. So environmental psychology is the study of people and how they relate to spaces. So everybody, if you don't understand, 90% of our time is spent indoors. And that indoors doesn't necessarily mean in a house. It could be in a car. It could be in an office space, whatever. That's, that's an interior element. Everything around us affects how we work in a space. So if you work in an office with no windows, you're more prone to have, you, you don't have the experience of being outdoors. You don't have sunlight. You don't have the, you don't feel the rise and the fall of like the sun coming up and then going down. So a lot of people who work in an office environment, kind of a cubicle environment, if they don't have windows, they're going to be like, okay, I can get that stuff done. And they'll be more productive over time because they don't know that the time has gone by so quickly. But somebody who works in a space that has windows and doors and you can see the out environment and outside, you can know like, oh, it's early in the morning. All right, now it's noon time. Now it's dinner time. It's dark. I can, you know, continue on with my day. I can finish up with different things. So environmental psychology really focuses on how you relate to a space yourself. A lot of times when you see floor plans, let's say for your home, a builder just builds things based upon the needs. So living room, dining room, kitchen, some bedrooms, a bathroom or two, and maybe an extra space like a, a TV room, media room, something like that. But those spaces aren't confined to the name that was given to them on a floor plan, if you will. So you have to understand how somebody else works in a space, and then you can change those rooms around based upon them and how they relate to an environment. So that's kind of the basis of environmental psychology. Um, but to dive into it a little bit more specifically, when I talk to a client, I need to understand what are you trying to um, achieve with this space, for example. So if you were somebody who worked from home and you had a three bedroom, two bathroom space, I would say, well, you obviously need a, a home office environment, but what does that need to be located next to? How do you work in your space? Do you have children? Are you by yourself? You know, is it just you and your spouse or your significant other? So you kind of have to find out how those people work together, what they're trying to achieve, and then figure out if that space works for the actual environment. And then if you're taking it into a commercial setting, it's the exact same thing. Hey, so if you're, um, let's call it a graphic design company, for example, well, you have the designers, then you have the production team, you have the creative team, you have all of these different elements together that need to work in the same space. Well, the people who are admin don't necessarily need to be next to the large printers because they're not printing proofs every single day. But the creative team might be next to me to be next to the creative directors because they communicate on a better basis. So you have to frequently find out who works well together, who doesn't need to work together, and then you kind of create the spaces based on that. So yeah, it's yeah. a lot of questions. <laughs> right. I love it. As you're talking, I'm thinking about two things. One, I need a bigger house <laughs> because <laughs> I'm like sitting here at my desk 
which is like in the corner of my room. And I'm like, this is not going to be a great home office for much longer. Um, but right. then too, as you're learning about how people relate to space, mm-hmm. what's the next step in your design process in, in taking in all of that information and really curating a space for them? Sure. So after you kind of take those notes down, you kind of create a plan where it's it's made up of things called nodes and spaces. So you kind of put principal spaces, which are larger nodes. So you might say, let's say in your home, you're going to say, all right, well, let's say you guys cook a lot. Your kitchen is going to be kind of the place that you want to center things around. So then you're going to take all that information and say kitchen, they cook a lot. Are they, if they naturally cook a lot, they're probably going to host. So, okay, do you have a dining room area or a space that's large enough to host parties or things like that so you kind of put these things you like list them in a hierarchy ranking what's most important to what's least important then you figure out how many spaces you have and if those spaces will accommodate the needs for the customer essentially so it's a lot of planning on paper to be honest with you you had to kind of have to do a lot of drafting putting things together and then from then I will then take that space go back to the client and kind of present a design schematic And it's really rough. There's not a lot of detail into it. It's kind of just like, all right, well, based upon what we learned and discovered, these things need to happen together. You bring it to them, ask them if this is correct, if this is the direction they're tending towards. And then we start the design process. But that doesn't include um, selecting any type of furniture. That doesn't include paint, none of that. Like that's the very last thing that we do because everything has to kind of fall into place as we all know the saying, form follows function. That's the only way that we can make things work. So I'm not worried about your favorite colors yet. I'm not worried about you know, lighting or things like that yet. I'm really focusing on how do you relate to the space? What needs to happen in that space? And then from then the design process can start to ensue. Right, and I love how you're detailing this out because one of the things that I'm really passionate about is design thinking and like taking mm-hmm. a human centered approach to how I do my work. So like if right. I'm working with an interior product company to figure out what problems we can solve and what solutions that we can come up with, whether that be a strategy or a new product idea or something of how they're going to put that to market, I'm always thinking, okay, we're not going to just run straight to the solution but first right. we're just going to think of the humans that are in this process, right? And Correct. ask questions, observe, gather all yes. the data, find those common pain points, and then have a rough draft and come up with different iterations. So exactly. it's so, and that's where, you know, design thinking has, comes from that design mm-hmm. process that you're going through in interior design or industrial design or different things like that. So I love how you're explaining it because there really is a parallel in how designers might go about designing a space and then to mm-hmm. how a business might even go about uh, designing something, a strategy or product to put to market. So I love that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And so once you do get through that whole phase of just like discovery and learning how they relate to a space, once you finally get to that portion of the project where you're picking finishes and picking furniture for your specifications, are there any, you know, go-to companies or material companies that you kind of go to to select or do you kind of figure it out based on your client needs you have a general starting point based upon the type of project you're working on so typically there's some furniture companies that I'll be like oh okay yes I know that 
because of what you're asking me to do, I can easily get this from this source or that source. But I really don't like to go to the typical box stores to buy a lot of your main pieces because it's so recognizable. And I don't feel like a space is curated the right way with a customer if you're, you know, going to Crate and Barrel or something like that or Restoration Hardware all the time or Target even. You know, I think I think some things are good to get at those box stores, a lot of organizational tools, things like that. They're easier because it's mass produced for that type of environment. But when you're creating a space, the people in the space directly influence what you select to curate. So for example, if you're working with a family of all athletic people and they're all, you know, five, eight and taller, I can't really shop at some of the standard stores because they don't fit people exactly. And I, so one of the reasons that I bring this up is because when I was car shopping, I'm five to eight. So I'm a taller woman. However, shopping for cars, they all cars don't have the same uh, adjustments in them, if you will, with your seats and things like that. So when I was car shopping, I would go in and I have to sit on the farthest back click like there's I can't sit any closer I have to sit on the farthest back click and so learning this I would go into them and I'd say well how much room do you have how much cubic feet is in it because for me specifically I am even though I'm five eight I'm mostly leg and so for me I have to be in a space where I can stretch out and my legs are able to sit comfortably in a space but somebody can be five eight and be more torso so again, those are some questions that you ask when you're selecting even dining room furniture or living room furniture. You have to understand the depth and the heights and the dimensions of people, which is a lot of the anthropology that we studied in design school kind of comes into place now, knowing heights, standard heights, mm-hmm. standard viewing, all of that stuff is so key. And I don't think people really understand that about design and which is why it is human centered, like you mentioned earlier, it's very human focused but all humans aren't alike. So we have to, you kind of have to like take the information, gather it, settle it down and then create (laughs) a chart. It's it's, it's a lot of work, but when you truly understand your client and then you understand the space that they're trying to occupy, it's a lot easier to make your selections from there. So I guess the long and the short of that question is I don't use the same places. I kind of curate based on who the customer is Mm -hmm. and their focus, because again, everybody is a little bit different and I can, you know, there might be the same floor plan or in a condo or um, in a gated community or whatever, but the people occupying those two exact spaces are going to be completely different. So you have to ask those pressing questions to be able to create and find the best things to curate for your client. Right. Right. And so also as you're specifying, you know, all the products and finishes, you're able to go Mm -hmm. to those companies figure out what's best for them. But you've also been on the other side and working for interior product companies. So Mm -hmm. what are some things that have stood out to you um, from those interior product companies that have like helped you in your specification process or Mm -hmm. how they go to market with their products, anything that has stood out to you from a design perspective? So I think something, one thing that um, is done really well with product companies is the marketing aspect, especially when you, especially when it comes to like the built goods, case goods. So that would include tables, chairs, um, especially dining products. I know I'm talking about that a lot because I feel like that's where a lot of things center on. They're like, oh, I'm trying to do my dining room over. I need a table because we host Thanksgiving and Christmas every year and things like that. 
I think the one thing they do is market those products very well because colors are really important when it comes to that. And material types are very important when it comes to the built environment or case studs, for example. But what people don't understand is material and textiles is very important to understand the origin of them before you make selections. So as a designer, we all know that viscose in rugs is not something that you want to put in a space where a lot of water will be because it will ruin the product. But people don't understand that a lot of rugs that they love because they're pretty aren't functional because they contain a lot of viscose. So one, pro one company I worked for in the past, I learned how to read the product labels and understand whether those products work in certain environments because a lot of big box stores will promote these um, you know, they'll promote rugs or they'll promote chairs and they're made of velvet or they're made of silk or satin. And I'm like, it's so pretty, but it's not functional. You right. have five kids under the age of 10, like it's not going to work for you, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's about label reading in a different way. The, the questions that you have to ask have to be pretty specific to where the people are going in life. So let's say I'm working with a residential client and they're, you know, oh, I want to upgrade their living room. Well, I ask their kids ages because that's important. If your kids are 10 and this is your forever home, well, in the next 10 years, it's still going to be in your space. You know what I mean? So the, you kind of have to understand like they're going to grow up. So you don't want to select those more expensive goods. For example, you might want to get like a level two in a carpet versus a level 10 in a carpet because they're going to spill drinks. They're going to spill food. They're going to wipe something on the counter and, and everything else. And you don't want that to affect the selections that you're making. But if your kids are, you know, 15, 16, and this is your forever home or the next 10 years, I'm okay with selecting something with a little bit higher of a, a more expensive quality just because your kids are not going to be ruining it as much as if they were younger. So, right. and so there's a lot of questions about that. Yeah. Right. And so since the, almost like the ingredients, but the contents of different materials are important as you're going along your specification process, how mm -hmm. have the companies that you specify from educate you on those materials and the contents of it? And then how do you then translate that to your clients. Does that make sense? Yes. No, it definitely does. Um, I think one thing is the research. As a designer, we have access to a little bit more information than the general public will, especially if you're a trade partner or things like that. So a lot of these um, curators or artisans will actually have their own pages dedicated to how they source material and where that kind of comes from. Especially in textiles, that's really important to understand the nature and the origin of materials. So um, I mentioned velvet earlier. Um, a lot of people like the look of velvet, but it's not practical for, again, smaller, younger spaces. It's more practical for an elevated clientele, if you will. So if you're designing kind of like a bachelor pad and he's single and he wants to kind of have like a little elevated look, then I might put some velvet in there. But again, I wouldn't use velvet because in a children's environment, like a kid's room, because it doesn't make sense. They'll crush it. To be honest with you, a lot of companies actually provide the information in their spec sheets, or they have educational videos, or they have um, on YouTube, even some of them show the origin of species and the origin of different things like that, too. So I'm able to find that information and then relate it to the client. So let's say, again, 
I had a client, re uh, not recently, but a little while ago, that wanted to get a floor for their home. And they were really interested in a marble look. But then I asked them the question, do you have pets? And they had Dobermans. They had three Dobermans. I'm like, okay, because you have large dogs with three long nails, you cannot, <laughs> yes, and three, not just one, I cannot put that in your space because marble is a soft product. It comes from, there are lots of regions, Turkey is one of them. And because of the density of the product, marble is too soft for the long nails of your dog, which is why I can't put marble in your space. However, I can put marble looking porcelain in your space, give you the exact same look, and it's going to achieve the same result just using a different product. You also have to know the ingredients of the product and you have to know the ingredients of the people because right. they don't, if they don't work together right, and right, you right. can't, they'll get upset, you know, like, oh, well, this cracked. Well, uh, yes, it would crack because <laughs> you, you have huge dogs. dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so has there ever been a time where you're also looking for something to specify, whether that be the flooring, the furniture, what have you, and it's a horrible experience with that product company. You're like, I'm not dealing with that anymore. Maybe they don't have the yes. right information. The order processing was all wrong. And you're like, I'm, I'm trying to curate the best space for my client. If you have a horror story, that would be interesting to share. <laughs> yes. So there um, are some companies out there that they don't actually list all of the information on their website properly. They list the bare minimums. And so there was a table and chairs we were trying to curate for a customer. I was only buying the tables from one place, the table from one place, and then the chairs from another place. Well, the chairs failed to mention all of the material that was actually in it. I saw velvet. And again, I go back to velvet because one of my favorite products. I love the texture of velvet, especially when you're trying to create texture on texture looks. I guess they had some designs in the back of the chair and they were filled with another, like a glass, glass on velvet type look. And then they had something of an epoxy on top of it. Well, when they came in, they all shattered. And every time we tried to order a new one of the chairs, it would continue to shatter. And I'm like, this is not a great product. It looks <laughs> so pretty. And I kept calling customer service. Well, you know, we can't control how things are shipped and this and that. I said, well, that's obviously an issue right. because if I'm trying to buy this product and every time we buy a new chair and you send a replacement, it's shattering. That means there's something wrong with, with the, the product chair. itself. <laughs> Needless to say, they are banned from my list and I will not be shopping <laughs> with them anymore. But I can't tell you how many times like customer of uh, the product lines have to list certain certain elements for them you have to know kind of like the main material so if there's a wood or if it's glass or if it's a metal you have to list all of those things on there and I'm like if you have this glass epoxy looking thing I'm sure the picture is pretty that you put on the website but it's not shippable so you have those things are so important too right, when you're actually right. selecting stuff so yeah that was a horror experience and I was like I'm not buying velvet glass anything ever again like, it's just <laughs> that sounds very intriguing but it's super important because you put all of that time and effort into that mm -hmm. first portion of the design process in understanding the environmental psychology how people yes. are relating to the space what they're yes. going to need to fulfill like their height requirements you know down to their yes. preferences so when you're finally at the specification portion it's important for you to really understand that materiality 
and have clear communication with the companies that you're specifying from. So I love it. Absolutely. So yeah, what can we look forward to for no- from Noed Interiors over the next year or so? What do you got coming up? So I'm a big sports fan and I would love to work with sports teams on creating and curating environments for athletes because I was an athlete myself. I ran track, I played softball, played tennis, did a whole bunch of different sports. And to be honest, athletes are kind of left out of the design guidebook, I wish, I guess you can say, when it comes to specking furniture, especially beds, sofas, chairs. I mean, you have to understand that the average, especially athletes like football players or baseball players, basketball players, they're really tall. And so when you're um, working with them, you have different questions that you have to ask. I mean, you have weight requirements that are different. You have height requirements that are different. You have to really understand kind of how all those things work together. So I would love to work with um, a professional or semi-professional team and kind of create case goods and furniture and lighting and things like that, that reflects on the athlete. Because I do think that that's a missing um, piece in the designer world. You really have to custom everything. And while custom is awesome, sometimes it's really expensive. And sometimes people don't really understand how much they have to spend on those types of products. So I would love to work with a company to kind of mirror those things together because I do spend a lot of time um, working with and around different athletic types. And it is hard to find stuff that work for them. So right. that would be, that's like my next goal is to really kind of curate with somebody on that, because I do think it's an important outlet and a, and a market that's been missed in the yeah. design industry. I can even see that happening with college athletes. So if you like partner mm-hmm. with a school or different things like that, I know in college, exactly. I had a lot of friends who were athletes um, on like the basketball and football team. And they were always like switching out their beds. Yes. That, you know, that they had standard in the college places because exactly. it was too small. But it didn't even dawn yeah, on me. Yeah, like a twin, a just, twin extra long. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't it's even like, dawn well, on me until just on... now. I'm like, well, yeah, that is a design problem. Somebody needs to, <laughs> to think about that. <laughs> exactly. Because it's not, to be honest with you, we have to think about where things are going in the future as well, too. Like in America, in every country, they have obviously everybody's built a little bit differently. So different places are going to show different things. You know, sometimes when you go, even, even in the same area, I live in Florida and um, the grocery store Publix, for example, I know that they actually have environmental psychologists that work on all their stores because when they do um, a kind of a demographic tour, they need to find out the type of people who are living in a space, what type of vehicles they drive to do the parking lots. They also do that for the height requirements in a store itself. So certain, if you go to certain areas, depending on the people that you're around, you'll notice the stores are similar but different. And it's because of the demographics of the local area, which nobody knows. Most people don't even think about those types of right. things. But those are little things that I think we have to think about for the future. Like, what's the average age of children now? And how tall are they going to be? And, you know, like you said, college athletes all the way to the professional athletes, like they all have to purchase things. And I've worked with some different athletes over time everything has to be extra long, extra large, extra tall. It, it's a lot. And you can't find those on the regular shelf when you go to the store. So it is something that I really feel passionately and strongly about that we can kind of curate to be yeah. a, for a better place for them down the line. Yeah. You know, And that's why I love interior design too, because we're like, 
behind the scenes, you know, making little tweaks in the environment to make living better, right? And people don't even realize that all of those things went into consideration to just, you know, like you said, park in the parking lot or go to the store or different things that we talked about today. So I love it. Exactly. So if somebody wanted to get in contact with you, I'll definitely put your information in the show notes, but definitely share too where they can find you online. Yes. So on Facebook or Instagram, you just are going to look for Noed Interiors and that's N-O-E-D, which is my name spelled backwards. (laughs) So Noed Interiors, you can schedule any kind of consulting sessions. If you just want a shop for the day, I do that as well too. Kind of just bounce ideas off of different people, but that's the best way to get in contact with me is through my website or through Instagram or Facebook. All right. Awesome. Dion, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. I've enjoyed learning so much about you and your design process. And I can't wait to see what happens as you go out to accomplish those new goals this year. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us this week on Thrive in Design. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Thrive in Design. And for more strategies on how your product company can innovate in the interior design industry, head to training.thriveanddesign.co. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave us a review so we can continue to create captivating content. That was a wrap for this season, but we'll see you soon. Hey!